0: The Classroom is a podcast where we talk about education and integrating science, technology, engineering, art, and math into the classroom. I'm Tori Cameron, and I started this podcast in order to learn from the experts of STEAM around me. Each episode, we have a guest on the show from fields of education, business, nonprofits, or others related to STEAM. My hope for this podcast is to learn something that I can incorporate into my classroom and for you, the listeners, to do so as well. I'm so excited for this episode's topic. Last episode, we discussed farm and culinary science. This episode, we are switching from land to sea. Today, we have Ross Clayton in the studio. He is a high school biology and marine biology teacher at East Bridgewater High School in Massachusetts, and he also was involved in a marine technology research study called MATS through University of Rhode Island and University of Connecticut. He has some amazing insight and ideas for us today. Welcome, Ross. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for joining in on our podcast. So, I did a little intro. Anything else you want to add about yourself?
1: I grew up in uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts, and I went to school at the University of Rhode Island for fisheries technology, and so I wasn't really into education in the first place, but um, after I graduated, I kind of switched my feelings and wanted to go into education, so I became a biology teacher. That's cool. And then... um. And after a couple of years teaching, I wanted to bring marine bio to the classroom, and we didn't have it uh, in East Bridgewater. So I developed my own program, no and yep, and we put it on the Programmer Studies, and a bunch of kids signed up for it, and now it's in its second year. So no I'm really I excited. I didn't about know that.
0: It. Yes. Oh, so you piloted the program. I piloted it, yes. Look at you. Or I guess Captain. <laughs> Some sea humor. Um, all right, so... Let's hear about the research study that you're part of or were a part of.
1: Uh, Yeah, so what we did was it's called the Marine Technology for Teachers and Students Project. So it went from uh, like March of 2016 to September of 2017. And so,
0: like a year and a half.
1: So it was about a year and a half, maybe a little, yeah, about a year and a half. And um, so what we did was there's about ten teachers, and our, essentially our goal was to learn about different types of marine technologies. So things like remotely operated vehicles, um, different things like temperature sensors. We did uh, we learned about um, settling arrays, which I'll talk more about, which I actually brought in my classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sorts all sorts of different stuff like that. I mean probably think of more as we go along. Uh, but I also involved two students in it as well. So every teacher had two students that kind of involved in it. And we went to a bunch of different workshops at Yukon uh, Avery Point, uh, which is their graduate school down there. Okay. And we did some different, uh, we built ROVs. And then in the summer, we uh, went for a week at URI graduate school oceanography right on uh, narragansett bay oh, wow. and uh the kids came to that one no way so um it was the teachers and the kids we went for a week so we st- all stayed in a hotel and did something new every day uh we got to look at the inner space center um which i can talk about later i guess too uh most people don't know what the inner space center is I don't. <laughs> so uh it was it was pretty good and we continued that and finished up um yeah, last September, okay. and it was I got a few credits for it, but it was I mean I really didn't even need the credits for it. It was worth it just just to go. Okay, so uh to pick uh the students I was going to use I put out kind of just a school wide you know all call you, anybody who wants to do this I put up a couple flyers I told other um, science teachers said if you have anyone who wants to do this just hand them this flyer and come see me. So I had about a dozen kids who signed up. Um, so I picked two who I had had in biology that year as when they were sophomores. Uh, and I had them, the requirement was that they had to take marine biology the next year so that I could have them throughout the year as well. because mm-hmm. it was really good to have them to like kind of keep an eye on them and keep up to date on what was going on.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Did they get credit for it or anything like you did?
1: Um, no, they didn't get any sort of credit, but Uh, It definitely looks really good for college applications. Yeah, especially
0: if they want to go into marine bio. Yeah,
1: exactly. Which, do they? Um, Not sure if they do. One of them wants to be an engineer, though. Oh, cool. Um, So it's really good for that kind of stuff because everything we did we built. Yeah. So it was all hands-on building stuff. Um, And it really helped out as well because they helped along. uh, When we brought one of the projects that we did actually back into my classroom, they helped the other kids do it, and they were really good with that. Oh, cool.
0: That's awesome. All right, that sounds... Like an amazing opportunity, would you recommend it to anyone else?
1: Oh, I would, totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Absolutely. All right, so let's move on. I want to talk about being exposed to marine biology. So, you grew up in Gloucester, yep. which for anyone that doesn't know where Gloucester is, Gloucester is it's um, right on the water. Did you grow up like right on the water?
1: Or, um, like, close no, enough? not right on the water, but I spent my whole life on the water. Yeah. So,
0: all right. So um, right on the ocean and um, if you spent your whole life on the water then did you do a lot of fishing and stuff like that?
1: So my dad was a uh, commercial fisherman and a party boat fisherman so he ran um, like party boats or big fishing boats where you take a lot of people out fishing like tourists and such. Oh that's cool. uh, I think my brother did that once. Yeah. (laughs) And so he ran those boats and he was a commercial fisherman and so I grew up just on those boats with him everything and uh i actually got my first job on one of those party boats. that's cool when i was 10 and so i've been been 10 and i've been working there ever since so every summer so it's a great summer gig especially for a teacher
0: how are you hired at 10
1: Uh, we could talk about that you gotta know some people
0: (laughs) that's awesome yeah because you can spend the whole summer on the ocean and have your summers off absolutely okay so for people that live in landlocked states or places that are nowhere near the ocean or any bodies of water would you say that learning marine biology is important
1: marine biology is yeah extremely important it's just really interesting so many different marine environments out there uh There's everything from coral reefs to hydrothermal vents to um, just the deep ocean to um, coastal uh, rocky shores and sandy shores, upwelling areas, uh, continental shelf, like areas we have here in New England and people have other places, kelp forests in the, the Pacific.
0: And the ocean being 70% of Earth.
1: So the ocean being 70% <laughs> of Earth. I have a question for you. Do you know how much of the ocean we've explored? I don't know. It's probably something so small, like like 1%. Seven, 7%. Seven seven Oh, my God. So we know more, we've explored more of the moon than we have of the ocean.
0: That blows my mind.
1: It's a mind-blowing though I feel like
0: people. I kind of believe it, though, because the moon is just like, oh, my God, it's
1: the moon. Yeah, so we've explored more of the moon than we have of the ocean. That's crazy. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, man. So definitely marine bio is important. And, well, I guess since you piloted this program at EB, if a teacher in the middle of, like, Arizona or something wants to have marine biology at their high school, what would you say could be, like, their argument to their curriculum coordinator? I would just
1: just, um, put together... Um, some ideas that you have and go to them and just ask them to do the course and that's honestly all I did I said can I run this course and they said sure we'll put it in the programmer studies and if it gets enough people you can run it and that's what I I don't know if maybe they gave me a little more leeway because they knew my background Yeah. so if you don't have a background in it but want it I would recommend definitely putting a curriculum together showing them the curriculum showing all the stuff you have to do Mm -hmm. and um think just just doing that because I don't think there's any harm in um, trying trying yeah
0: right? absolutely
1: so uh, another reason I think it was a success for me at least is because we have it in as a full year lab science so kids going from uh, biology and they might have a different interest in science they could go to marine biology and then maybe do chemistry or anatomy or AP biology and then their senior year mm-hmm. or junior or senior year depending on how the schools structured yeah so I think that was a big help as well in um, getting the program off the ground for sure
0: definitely I know when I was in high school I liked having options of my science classes because it's not not everyone likes the same kind of science it's such a vast like array of topics that
1: you can have oh, yeah exactly yeah.
0: and providing kids with more opportunities to take different types of science classes just enables them to be more interested in science in general. Like, they know they have to take their science electives and science courses in order to graduate, but to give them opportunities that might pique their interest more than another mm-hmm. type of science, then they'll be more likely to take more science. Yeah,
1: exactly, I think. Yeah. yeah. They're not forced into four specific sciences that they have to take, and that's it. There's a wide range of something they can do. Yep. Which absolutely yeah
0: all right so um we'll talk about some cool projects that you've done in the past or maybe some projects that you have coming up or something that maybe you haven't done lesson plans or curriculum for yet but it's kind of like a little idea maybe a listener has done it before and they can reach out to you or vice versa something like
1: that Uh, one thing that i did last year is something i learned from the mats project uh so we made in my classroom, or I should say the first time we made them was in the mats project. We, they're called uh, Virtue Settling Arrays. So what a settling array is, is something that you put in the water and it has plates on it. And marine organisms collect on those plates. They settle on the plates, mm-hmm. settling array. And eventually you take it out of the water and then you just look at the marine organisms and see what you got.
0: Right, so for any listener that has no background in marine bio, what do you mean
1: by settling? So they have, there's small uh, planktonic organisms, little tiny uh, organisms that float throughout the water column. And a lot of these are um, essentially the babies of organisms that live on the bottom or are attached to something. Mm -hmm. So if you see, you know, if you see docks at the bottom of the boats, there's all those little... Um, things just attached to it. Those mm-hmm. are all little marine invertebrates. And what they do is to, uh, when they reproduce, they let all their babies go in the water, and then all those small marine invertebrates eventually find something, find some hard surface, and they settle on that hard surface. So what? Settle there to grow up. And then they grow up, <laughs> and they stay there, and they attach forever. Yes. So mm-hmm. uh, what the purpose of settling ray is, you put it in the water, and you over time allow it to accumulate those marine organisms that's cool. and they grow on it and then you can take it out and you can look at the marine organisms you have in that area that's awesome yeah so anyway we built these uh, over the summer at our summer Institute at uh, URI and essentially what it is is it's a long wooden dowel and then on the dowel you take pieces of PVC uh, you put them over the dowel, and in between each piece of PVC, you put a CD. Like, like
0: a literal music a CD? A literal
1: music CD. Cool. Uh, preferably like the blank ones that are white, because it's easier to see when the things are white. Oh. So.
0: I um, would think that you would want it because it's shiny. But you want it because it's white?
1: Um. So, well, when you see, yeah, because you put it because it's white, because when you take it out, it's a lot easier to see what's on it. If oh, the background's so for white.
0: humans to see it. Yeah, not, yeah for humans. Okay.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um They don't have eyes. They they don't have any color preferences. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, preferably white, which is easier for you to see when you take it out of the water. Um, So anyway, you have put a CD under each piece of um, PVC. And so there's about... It depends. You can make them however big or small you want. Um, These ones had eight CDs on them. And it was probably a four-foot-long piece of wooden dowel. Those are pretty big. Yeah, so... Um, And it would hang, in the, and then you take one end, and you attach it to a rope, and you put it out on a dock or um, a float or somewhere, and you let it hang down in the water. And so you also get kind of a stratification of organisms that might be higher in the water or lower in the water.
0: How do you guarantee that it floats um, Um,
1: vertical? You put a weight on the bottom. Oh, okay. So you put a weight on the bottom, and so it stays straight up and down. Cool. Ideally. And you give it about, um, you can give it two to three months, and then you go collect them and see what you have.
0: All right. So uh, you do this in your summer program?
1: So we did that in our summer program, and they deployed them for us, and then we met back up with the, um, with that program in, I think, maybe September. So they had been in the water for a couple months, and we looked at what was on them and everything.
0: That's cool. Did you find anything awesome?
1: Um, Tons of marine invertebrates, some algae. And it's pretty cool when you get them under the microscope and you get to see them actually moving and such. Because normally you see that and you just really don't really know what it is. You're just looking at it. Yeah, scrape but, it off your yeah belt. exactly. <laughs> so, but you put it under the microscope and you can uh, identify all sorts of uh, different invertebrates that are on it. Yes.
0: And did you bring them into your classroom?
1: Uh, yeah. So what I did is, um, I actually started a donors choose. So I don't know if any. People know what Donors Choose is. But Tell it, us about it. So it's kind of like a GoFundMe for teachers, mm-hmm. essentially. And DonorsChoose.com. DonorsChoose.org, I think, org? maybe. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a GoFundMe for teachers. You go online and you um, make a profile for your project, say why your project's going to be good, and you actually can go shopping right from their website for whatever things you need, mm-hmm. and they make your whole profile of exactly what you need, and then people look at it. And hopefully, decide to give you some money for it to purchase the um, whatever products you need. Mm-hmm. And
0: that's a great way to do projects that your school might not necessarily y- be able to fund. Yeah,
1: exactly. And
0: it's not only just for projects; you can also you know get books for you get your books, class yeah. or um, I'm no I've done it before for like a projector, Pretty, things like that. Uh, so you can I know someone who did stuff. them
1: for um like bean bags. Yeah, for a, like a special ed room, so. They, have kids have other things to, like sit on. Perfect. Um, all
0: right. Side note. Back back to your. Anyway, <laughs> back
1: to me, back to me. So, uh, I did this donors choose, and one of the great things about donors choose um, is that you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to you don't have to do any work. You put all the prog- uh, products in, and as soon as you get your money. They order the products for you, and they get shipped right to your school.
0: That's a lot of stress off your shoulders. Yes,
1: yeah, so you don't have to get you know a thousand dollars and then go out and find the stuff yeah. and buy it. And
0: they give you the exact stuff. you Yes, need. exactly.
1: That's um, so, go. F- um, sorry, DonorsChoose is fantastic. I recommend it to um, anyone. Yes, so I did uh, DonorsChoose for these for our two settling rays, and I got all the materials I needed. Uh, I was funded pretty quick. I think within a week. Wow. Um, Look at you. And. So I got all the materials I needed, and I went to building them with all my classes. I think I had six uh, arrays per class, so I had groups of like six or so. So mm-hmm. it was kind of bigger groups, but, I mean, it's what I had to do. It's, it's
0: yeah, you don't want to fill the ocean yeah. with these.
1: Which <laughs> actually brings up a funny point, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, it took us a few days to build, and we built all these settling arrays, and then uh, all the groups were responsible for... Uh, bringing them out to some location and deploying them. So I gave them some suggestions of where they might do it, a few mm-hmm. different docks. Because um,
0: for anyone that doesn't know, East Bridgewater is not on the ocean. Yeah,
1: the closest you know, the closest dock for them was probably half an hour or so to get yeah. to. Um, but I think almost all of them, all the groups managed to get theirs out there and um, take a couple pictures of it with it going in the water Mm -hmm. and so then we left them kind of for about uh maybe a couple months uh we just before do they
0: go and check on them
1: so just before thanksgiving (laughs) is when we um pulled them up and um looked at everything so that's that's where the fun part comes in so when they go back to get them a lot of them are gone (laughs) (laughs) So
0: this is something definitely others can learn from. So
1: so for those of you um, who are listening who aren't familiar with um, types of necessary docks or something we have in this area, um, so we have a lot of uh, floating docks in this area, and since in the wintertime, since there's no boats, those docks get pulled out of the water. Oops. (laughs) So uh, a fair amount of students had deployed them on floating docks, and when they went back in November... Oh, no. Those docks were no longer in the water.
0: Oh, no. Did they ask, like, the people that own the docks? Or they just
1: uh, No, up? it's just... Oh, um, no. But... So the people were probably like, what are we pulling up? So, well, the people, <laughs> when they pulled the docks up, were probably <laughs> confused as to say, what's this <laughs> thing attached to my dock? But uh, I had them do them on public docks, and it doesn't... Um, you wouldn't know they're there unless you went looking for them. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not something that really gets in the way. Uh, and...
0: Did you have any success?
1: So one of the first things, the first rule of marine technology. So you know what the first rule of marine technology is? Um,
0: hold on, let me guess. Is it something like don't trash the ocean?
1: No, it's a, no, not. No? No, it's don't ever put anything in the ocean. You're not afraid of losing. Oh, no? <laughs> That's the first rule of marine technology. All right. Uh, so, you know, I told them this might happen, and it happened, but we got about... I think we had about half of them back, so That's it's still pretty good. It's still pretty good
0: because you have to think. Not only do you have to worry about people pulling them up, but also you know if the string gets yeah. loose or the current. So some
1: were um, shark. Yes, I don't know which, <laughs> Some some were missing, um, and the docks hadn't been moved. They the, um, they were just missing, so it might have got untied. Something might have happened, um, but then some were missing um, because the docks were gone. But we got enough back, and they had eight discs on each one, so it was plenty of plenty of samples to go around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we did is, uh, we had a whole bunch of cool marine invertebrates, and we looked at them. And there's a website, uh, Virtue is like Virtue is kind of like an organization, yep. Uh, and they have a website where you can upload um, you, what you got on your discs, and you can put your location in. Oh. So if you go on the Virtue website, you can see locations of where people have done this throughout the whole world no way yes way and that's really cool what's so they this up, website again uh the website for the virtue uh, arrays is virtudata.se so i believe it's a i it was i started in i think norway hmm. um so if you get to the site you're going to find it in norwegian and you have to Whoa. you can hit the translate thing and it translates to English. But good to know. <laughs> People uh, will be like, so when yeah, my students first went to it, they said, What is this? <laughs> I didn't even know what's going on. But anyway, you can go on there and you can see all the um, different data from around the world. And it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah.
0: Oh, and so your students put their data on there too?
1: Yep. So that was their assignment was to put their data on there That's awesome. and then just do a little write up about it.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. Would you recommend this project to uh, I
1: would. Um Definitely, if you're doing it for the first time, uh, don't just give them the assignment. I definitely recommend making it and trying everything out yourself. Yeah, that's uh, a good idea. Because that's that's what we did in the summer, and um, that really made a difference. I, yeah. I think it would have gone a lot worse <laughs> if we didn't do that.
0: Probably. And if you have someone that you know has access to a dock or, or a buoy or something like that that they can like work with, that might be helpful
1: oh yeah I had um, a couple students who had families who had docks and they went and put them on there all
0: right so I know we're talking about marine bio but say someone from like a school near the Great Lakes or somewhere that's not near the ocean can you replicate this yeah
1: you can yep you can make a settling array for freshwater too
0: oh cool Mm -hmm. all right so shout out to anyone what about a river
1: um, or is that because of currents? You can make one in a river. I'm not sure how well it, it would be work. Because um, if the water's slow moving enough, then yeah. But if the water's really fast moving, it might be pretty difficult. Yeah. So it actually, to kind of judge it, it would be best probably just to look to see what's on the rocks there. And if there's stuff growing on the rocks, then maybe it could work out. But if... You know, a lot of rivers you see, there's nothing growing on the rocks yeah. and it's just because the water's moving too fast.
0: Huh, alright, that's really good to think about. Alright, so if anyone's interested in doing this project, please let us know if you've had success and we'll talk about ways to get in touch with Ross or Tori at the end. Alright, so are there any other cool projects or ideas or anything else that you want to talk about to interest uh, some people?
1: So, uh, something I'm going to do coming up uh, in September is, it's not really, um, it's not a big project, it's just it's something cool anybody in any classroom can do. And um, it has to do with, and you can do it in, it doesn't have to be marine bio, uh, it would be good for a physics classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about buoyancy, so it's kind of a challenge for students to uh, build the most buoyant boat they can out of um, and simple materials like uh, aluminum foil, um uh, straws I think uh, tape and you can add or subtract whatever types of materials you want and uh, even math it would be good for because you have to ca- you can calculate surface area so okay. um, you know buoyancy so generally the more surface area you have uh, the more buoyant something's going to be mm-hmm. uh, and <clears throat> the challenge part comes into it is basically uh, you do it in groups and whatever, students can uh, put the most pennies or really any weight that you want on the boat and have it still float wins. Oh, cool. So uh, it gives them kind of an incentive to do well and and compete against each other.
0: Yeah, nothing like a good STEAM project to get
1: the year going. (laughs) Exactly.
0: And that sounds like something you can really do any grade level too. I mean, you could even go down to as young as preschool or kindergarten, and mm-hmm. they're just making little boats out of the tinfoil um, and just seeing how it
1: goes. Yeah, uh, where in high school, um, like I'll probably do something, have them calculate surface area or um, something a little bit more advanced mm-hmm. where, you know, lower grade levels, you just see, see what you can make that floats the most. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And if you have in, um, say, an elementary class or maybe there's STEM Saturdays or you have it as a center or some of like that, this is definitely a great idea. To do that in your classroom, cool. Thanks, Ross. Anything else coming up?
1: Uh, I well, I do plan on doing uh, a few dissections if I can get the the um, the materials for them. Uh, great white this, shark this year. So uh, not a great white shark, but a <laughs> uh, dogfish. So it's a shark. Oh so, no way! Um, I think I
0: dissected one of those.
1: So I'd like to do a dogfish dissection if we can. But um, that's that's my other bigger project for yeah. the year. Uh, and then Maybe
0: something you can get for donors choose. So
1: I'm going to try and do this project uh, on this book called A World Without Fish by Mark Kurlansky. Um, oh. He also wrote uh, the bestseller Cod, which is a history of the codfish. Which and is
0: partial to us here. It is partial Kate to us, here.
1: yes. Uh, but he says it's cod, it's the fish that changed the world. Um, right. Which it did. Um, so I recommend, it's a good read. Uh, but anyway, the book uh, World Without Fish is more designed for, he says it's uh, ages nine and up. Mm-hmm. So uh, it reads a lot better um, for younger students. And uh, what I want to do is I want to get um, my students to read it over the course of the year and uh, talk about each chapter kind of as we go along. Yeah. So bring a uh, kind of in the literature element into the classroom, which okay. is where a lot of um, standards are going nowadays too right. yeah.
0: exactly because even though it, you say nine and up you can tweak it so that you can have it at the high school level
1: oh yeah through I mean, different I, critical yeah. questions and I just finished it and it's still um, advanced it's still fairly advanced like nine, a nine year old you'd really have to help through the book so good to know yeah
0: cool um, definitely adding literacy in to all subjects is like part of the common core mm-hmm. yep. so having that as a resource for the kids to learn from will definitely be something your principal will hopefully love. I hope right? so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Um, so we live in Massachusetts near the ocean. Do you have any field trips planned or have you taken field trips to the ocean?
1: Uh, so I actually haven't had the opportunity to take field trips to the ocean. I mean, last year was our first year uh, with marine biology. But mm-hmm. this year, I'm hoping to do uh, a whale watch in the fall, and I'd like to try and um, do a field trip to the aquarium. That's awesome. As the well. New England Aquarium. The New England Aquarium, right? Right? yes. Because we
0: also have the Mystic Aquarium nearest too.
1: Yes, uh, so New England Aquarium in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope to try and do both of those this year, and I'd like to do that every year. Um, and that would be a good incentive. Kids would like, kids really asked me to do that um, last year, and I didn't really, I couldn't get it together. Yeah, fast you gotta enough. build up the program yeah. little by little but every kid really wanted to go to the aquarium. Yeah, so. and
0: for anyone listening, most states, I feel like, have th- aquariums. Yes,
1: yeah. I feel for the most part, yeah. Yeah,
0: or some kind of resource near them. Yeah. So if you don't live near the ocean, then there's other ways to kind of bring the ocean into your classroom. I know um, different universities that study marine bio or um, just different organisms or um, aquariums, um, different environmental centers, they'll sometimes come into your classroom and bring little, um, what would you call it, like a habitat,
1: many moving yeah, habitats? the New England Aquarium does that, and I would imagine almost all aquariums do that, and they kind of bring the aquarium to you yeah. if you can't get to the aquarium.
0: And they have just different organisms in there, maybe it's um, types of... Sea plants? What would you call them? Algae. Algae. (laughs) (laughs) Or um, other awesome opportunities. Kind of
1: tide pool organisms. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Touch and feel. My favorite part of the aquarium. Though always scared to touch the jellyfish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So do you have any awesome resources that you use or would recommend to anyone that wants to bring that ocean into the classroom, but maybe they don't have an aquarium that can bring it? Maybe they have access to computers or iPads or something like that.
1: So I do. um, There are at least two good websites. There's a couple more, but one, um, two websites that I I know of for sure. They actually stream um, ROV, that's Remotely Operated Vehicle, dives live. Oh, wow. So you have these research vessels out um, wherever they may be. Uh, one is the research vessel Nautilus, which is a um, URI research vessel. Mm-hmm. And then one is the NOAA research vessel Oceanus Explorer. Mm-hmm. And that's the only um, federal research vessel that exists.
0: Really? That kind of blows my mind.
1: Um, well, f- really federal, like, uh, major research vessel. Okay. I mean, there's some smaller ones. Yeah, but. yeah. So, for example, the Okeanos Explorer was out in um, Hawaii last year doing dives on. And these dives that they do are um, down really, really, really deep in the ocean. So, um, anywhere past 2,000 meters. Uh, And they do these dives, and you can see the literal live footage of what the people in the control room are seeing. And you can hear them talking. And yep, and pointing out different things, and
0: is there any way to contact them?
1: Uh, so they sometimes they have um, ways to send questions um, like as they're streaming. They yeah. might not necessarily get to all of them right, but uh, it depends on what dive they're doing. It, it kind of depends on a bunch of different mm-hmm. factors, but one of the major examples is um some some people may have even seen this in news uh, last year. Um, they discovered a, they called it a ghost octopus. Yeah. Did you see that tiny little ghost? Yeah. So that they found on the Okeanos Explorer, and they're live streaming that. So if you were watching that live stream, you were one of the first people ever to see that organism exist. That's really cool. So that's the first time anyone had ever seen that. So if you have been watching that live stream, mm-hmm. you have been one of the first discoverers of that creature.
0: That's amazing. Creature.
1: Yep. Do
0: they discover a lot? I mean... Do people uh, know a lot about the ocean?
1: Uh, the deep ocean, no. Tell us. No, why. the the deep ocean is, as I said, largely unexplored, and so you know the, every dive they're almost finding new things, uh, and they're really really pretty interesting. I mean, sometimes you're looking at there are a lot of deep sea corals, which are very different from uh, the corals that we think of, like the coral reefs. Yep. Um, they're a lot more delicate, and they're not really hard calcium carbonate structures. Uh, they see deep sea corals there's lots of there's not a lot of fish uh, fish are definitely harder to find in the deep ocean um, because there's a lot less food yeah. in the deep ocean but they do um, you, you will see a lot of interesting stuff usually uh, you just got to catch them at the right time but most of the time they uh, have recorded footage too so even if um, you're not seeing the live stuff, They have something that's recorded that they have on the website. So you can maybe
0: even go back to see when they first discovered that ghost. Uh,
1: I don't know if you can go back. They might have a clip on YouTube or something. Okay. But um, you go to the streaming website and uh, you can just watch it. So, like, if my kids are working on a project and they're on a dive, I'll a lot of times put that up on the board so you can just like kind of watch it as they're doing their work. They can also be watching, hearing what the people are talking about. That's cool. Yeah. So it's it's a. it's a really really cool way to see the ocean. And they use this uh, so they use what's called telepresence and I'll go back to what I had mentioned the inner space center. Mm-hmm. So you know what inner space is?
0: Inner space, I don't
1: know. So inner space is so we know outer space, right? Is outer oh, space. Okay. So inner space is under the water. So that's what we call inner space.
0: Huh. All right, uh, fun fact. Yes. So know, I feel like I need to use that in conversation yeah. now. <laughs> Tell so something about it.
1: Uh, inner space, the Interspace Center is at URI, and it's like a big control room, essentially. And you walk in, and there's a bunch of rows of computers, and then there's these two huge screens, almost like a movie theater. And from there, um, those people are all talking to the people who are out on the ship, wherever the ship may be, in Hawaii. So they use a satellite signal to beam the signal. Well, the signal comes all the way up through wa- through cables to the ship, from the ROV and then they beam the signal to a satellite and the satellite comes back down to URI and then uh, they have the live feed and then they put the live feed out on the internet for everybody to see. That's awesome. So it's great too because you can, in the past when we haven't had this technology, um, you'd have to have experts on the ship to like point out if you're looking at stuff down on the deep ocean, you'd have to have someone who knows what they're talking about for each thing now you can have people halfway across the world um, looking at something. and If you need to, say, come up with a, a deep sea coral specialist off the—that's uh, cool. Right away, you can call a deep sea coral specialist up and say, "Can you look at this live?" Huh. And wow. Yeah.
0: That makes the world feel so small.
1: It's yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. It's really yeah. cool technology. And Mike, um, so we got to go in and see that when we were at URI this summer. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, that's awesome. Uh, Shout out to URI yeah. for being so really cool. The um so one of the websites is NautilusLive.org. How do you and, spell that? Uh Nautilus. N-A-U-T-I-L-U-S-Live.org. Okay. And that's the um URI research vessel. And that's the research vessel. Uh, it's um Robert Ballard's research vessel. See who Robert Ballard is? For
0: anyone that doesn't know, tell
1: uh, he discovered the Titanic. Oh, ho, ho, So the nautilus is the vessel that discovered the Titanic. No way. Yep. Yeah. Wait,
0: was he part of URI when he discovered the, titan- yes. the Titanic? Yeah. No way. Do they talk about that all the time? I feel um, like they just sneak it into conversation. Like,
1: oh, uh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> discovered the Titanic. At the moment. Um, and then the <laughs> other um, website is the NOAA website for the Oceanus Explorer. That's the name of the research vessel. And that website is uh, oceanexplorer.noaa.gov, or you can just search "oceanus explorer live stream" and it'll it'll come right up. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Wow, you're full of resources. So if we have some listeners that want to reach out to you for various reasons, maybe they want to start their own marine bio in their own school or they just have some questions for you how can people contact you
1: um so you can just email me um, at rclayton at ebps.net and perfect th- yep that's my school email so shoot me an email
0: how do you spell clayton
1: c-l-a-y-t-o-n all
0: right yep making you podcast famous <laughs> all right so they can send any uh questions to you, um, hopefully they do because that'd yeah, be really awesome love to hear to, some I'd love feedback. To hear from you. If um, they, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I can always send um, Ross a message, and you can go to steamuptheclassroom.weebly.com, and you can also find me on Twitter if you search for Tori Cameron. I'm at came by. Um All right, thanks so much for coming in, Ross. That
1: was it was awesome. This has been awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah I feel like we should have an update. Maybe, sure. you know, through the school year and, and see how any cool projects are going yeah. and let the listeners know.
1: Yeah, come in any time.
0: Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Russ. Thank you. And that is our episode of Steam Up the Classroom. Thanks so much, everyone.